Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to the Believe in Giants podcast with Giants legend Carl Banks and broadcaster Bob Papa. Welcome to another edition of Believe in Giants. Bob Papa with two-time Super Bowl champion Carl Banks. And uh, all right, Carl. Moment of truth here. The Giants got the Atlanta Falcons coming in, a battle of 0-2 teams, uh, a must-win situation. You can't go to 0-3. The odds of making the playoffs since 1990 are minuscule. Um, this team has got to be feeling a little bit of pressure. Are you confident that the Giants can get this turned around this week? Bob, I'm confident that they will get their mistakes corrected. And I think they'll be, I do believe they'll win this game. Uh, and I think they'll just continue to improve. I've seen improvement from week one to week two, especially in the offensive line, in terms of how they're protecting the passer. Um, I think the biggest uh, task at hand is how well this defense plays because Atlanta is a fast paced offense. The Giants are gonna have to be ready to play uh, from the beginning uh, snap, and they're going to have to stay on pace and get their guys in position to make plays. Carl, let's get into the nitty-gritty of this defense because the one thing that's alarming, and I think Giants fans all feel the same way, are these sort of zones that seem to be wide open against them when teams need to hit something. The Broncos did it in a big spot. Washington did it in a big spot. It seems as if, you know, the quarterback has got these guys open in the middle of the field so easily. How is that happening? Well, I think it was by scheme uh, in the Denver game. The Washington game, I just thought guys were not in place when there were zone defenses called. Their guys were a little lackadaisical in getting to their areas. And, and I don't mean that like they were loafing to their zones, but just getting set to see the quarterback and see the ball and locating receiver, they were like a half a step off. And that means that they've got to have more of a sense of urgency when they get to there, when they start that drop process, they gotta, they've got to bust their tails to get to their area so that they can locate quarterback, see what's in their zone and make the adjustments. And it's almost like matching up in the zone. Um, it's not a lot of pattern reading when the quarterbacks are getting the ball out of their hands, they got to find the guy in their area and they got to latch on to them because uh, it's not the old way of playing zone defense, getting there, getting set and reading patterns. You've got to have a pre-snap read. And as soon as that ball is snapped, you got to get to your area, locate the, the quarterback and see what's in your area. And once you see, locate someone in your area, you've got to get to them because they were a fingertip away on a few plays last week. And then other areas, they were like a step away. So they just got to get there a little more urgent, a little more suddenly. All right, let's not sugarcoat this. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is a nice player. He's a good story. Taylor Heineke is an unknown. I mean, 
you know, he started a game in the playoffs last year and here he is starting, you know, against the Giants on Thursday night football. This week, it's a whole different kettle of fish. Now, I mean, you've got a guy that is 10th all time in passing yardage and Matt Ryan. He's 10th all time in touchdown passes. Ironically, you know, he's on the verge of, of passing Eli Manning, whose number is going to get retired at halftime. We'll get into Eli in a little bit. But they're going against a master teacher this week, Carl. So um, they had better tighten this up because a guy like Matt Ryan can make you look stupid. This is a former league MVP. Yeah, he gets the ball out of his hands, Bob. He's he, he's seen just about everything. He's been around this league long enough. He's played at high level. He's been in the Super Bowl. Uh, he's had you know some of the best receivers to play the game, and he still has one. And he has a wild card and. Cordell Patterson. So uh, the Giants will have to be buttoned up. They have to be sure. And again, they've got to play on pace. They can't, you know, you can't have nine guys in place and two other guys that are just lingering around. They've got to be set every single time the ball is snapped and they've got to play on and play on pace as a collective, not just a few guys, but everyone. All right, so you um, obviously for your entire career, you know, being an outside linebacker in a 3-4 defense that you played, um, you had to pay attention to the tight end, okay? Um, Give me your scouting report on Kyle Pitts as you've seen on tape watching him from the first two weeks of play, and how would you go about defending him if you were got that 58 Giant jersey on and you're lining up against him or your 58 Browns jersey? Strategically, Bob, I mean, let me just tell you my scouting report on Kyle Pitts. He's a phenomenal athlete, runs well, catches well, right? Still green. He's still green um, in terms of his route running and quite and, and just understanding what teams are doing to him. But, you know, he can find an open space. He moves fast. Um, if you have to defend him, um, I'm telling, you know, I'll, I'll say this, you got to jam it and you got to mix it up. You just can't do it at the line of scrimmage. You got to do it mid route or the first five yards of his route. You've got to mix it up to make him uh, worry about where the contact is coming from and, and give him something else to focus on outside of running his route to his spot. Because if you just open up and let him run, he's going to carve the defense up and again, the ball comes out quick. That is the one thing that could be to your defense's advantage because when the ball's coming out quick uh, in an offense, that means everything has to be on timing. So anything that you can do defensively to disrupt the timing is where you are at an advantage. And you know their key players. Um, you've got to take pits out. You've got to take their wide receiver out, right? So if you can somehow disrupt the timing of those two guys and Matt Ryan has to move around a little bit, yeah, now your defense has to change, your coverage has to change because now you have to go to uh, what is referred to as a plaster coverage when the quarterback starts to move and guys start to uncover. But I, I like the Giants' pass rush in these and, and, and when you have to make a quarterback move around a little bit and he's out of rhythm, that's where your pass rush can impact the game. But if you let him stay in rhythm, your pass rush will never get there. It's just impossible in today's NFL 
when quarterbacks are getting the ball out of their hands in two seconds, 2.5 seconds, to, to generate a pass rush. Even when you're blitzing, you got to create negative downs, but timing offenses, you have to be able to jam receivers. Once you're jamming receivers, it changes how the offense plays the game. If you're not jamming, then you're not playing defense in, in today's NFL. You see it game after game after game. Teams line up, they are in what they consider press coverage, but they never disrupt the wide receiver. And so the ball just continues to come out of the quarterback's hand and they continue to move the chains. You've got to be assertive defensively and you've got to disrupt timing. You can do it a lot of different ways. You can do it at the line of scrimmage or you can do it within that first five yards, run up on a guy, disrupt him, reroute. We call it rerouting, taking the guy off of his intended route because the quarterback, the reads, and, 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 and I would ask fans, when you start to look at, at um, these games, watch the quarterback. His, his first read is not when he gets back in his drop. His first read is as he's dropping. He's reading as he's dropping. He wants to know which, which two receivers he's going to have a, a choice of, the number one or the number two guy. So if you can jam those guys and he doesn't see number one and number two is not quite in his route yet, that quarterback tends to, to uh, panic and want to move around and he doesn't have anything else. So that's what you have to do. Uh, Aziz Ojolari of the Giants uh, has become the first player in the history of the Giants, and this is their 97th year of play, to get at least one sack in each of his first two games. Uh, the last player to get at least one sack in each of his first three games in the NFL was Terrell Suggs. He did it for the Ravens in 03. Uh, Carl, but, you know, O'Shane Ziminis, Lorenzo Carter, um, guys like that, they need to start having more of an impact on some of these games too, right? Yeah, uh, but it's, you know, defense is a team sport, Bob, and I, I have to tell you, uh, that's going to be a function to start off. That's going to be a function of how well the back end plays to give these guys a chance to get to the quarterback. And then once you start to control the game, I think these guys will start to uh, have more of an impact. And, and also uh, guys like Leonard Williams and, and uh, Dexter Lawrence, nobody's getting there because by design, the offenses don't want their quarterback sacked, so they're getting the balls out. So if you can play on the back end better, more physical, more disruptive, you're going to have more results on the front end of your defense. If you cannot disrupt on the back end, you're just going to see guys getting close and they're just not, you'll get some quarterback hits, but you're not going to get many, uh, many sacks. The Giants can't be a feel right game this week. Atlanta is, let me look at my thing. They're 30th in the NFL. They've only scored 31 points through the first two weeks. So uh, this is one of those deals where the giant defense, they got to start fast. They got to be, uh, you know, moving along early, get some momentum going. And then let's go to the other side of the ball because the Falcons have given up 80 points. Now, 14 of them were pick sixes last week that the Bucs had, but they've still given up uh, 66 points through the first two weeks. It's 33 points a game. As you studied Atlanta defensively, 
you know, they got some names there, obviously, uh, as far as players and, and, and names that you've heard of. You know, they got Fowler coming off the edge and, uh, you know, they got the inside linebacker who's a real good player, um, Deion Jones. But nothing jumps out off the tape, does it, with them? No, nothing. You're right. Nothing jumps off the tape. And that's, you know, until they can get their footing, this is where the Giants have to pick up uh, from where they left off last week. Lots of different things for a defense to think about. If you give them Daniel Jones to worry about, if you give them Sterling Shepard, and if you can give them a consistent run uh, attack to worry about, you're going to be able to score some points because they won't be able to hang their hat. And I, the first two games, and if you just look at the Philadelphia game, Jalen Hurts, when they had him active in the offense, their defense just could not quite figure it out because they had to worry about a quarterback who can break contain, a quarterback who can scramble, who moves around, and some of it by design. And I know that within this Giants offense, they have designed movement for Daniel Jones. So if they can implement that and incorporate that early in the game, they will put the defense of the Atlanta Falcons on their heels. That's what you have to do. Never let them get their, their, their defense set um, into what you're doing. Don't let them focus on stopping the run. Don't let them focus on taking away one receiver or two receivers. So the variety is the spice of life when it comes to uh, this giant offense attacking the Falcons. I mean, if I would have said to you at the beginning of the year, I mean, we're only two weeks in, but that the quarterback with the third most rushing yards in the NFL would be Daniel Jones. He's got 122. Only Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts have more rushing yards than him. And I think people... Well, it's not a negative. No, no, it's a, it's a positive because a lot of it is by design. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are just surprised at how fast and how athletic he really is. Yeah, I don't know if it's, I mean, the, it's, it's, know if it's the haircut that makes him look like he shouldn't <laughs> be fast or whatever, but he can move. Yeah, he moves. And you see him in the open field and guys chasing him, they don't, they don't make up ground. How about Landon uh, Collins last still, week? Landon Collins last week was losing ground chasing him. Yeah, he was losing ground. And I can tell you, like, you know, fans get so caught up in uh, what the running back rushing totals are. But when you factor in the impact of the run game, meaning if it's by quarterback, if it's by receiver via a gimmick play or, or by quarterback, those numbers still work because they impact the defense. So we get caught up, and yes, we do want to see uh, Saquon Barkley break out, right? He's getting close. But if you have a combination of a quarterback and a running back, and you can get 130, 140 yards a game, that's wearing the defense down. It all matters, you know? So when we get stuck on, well, when is Saquon Barkley going to show up? Well. You better figure out how to factor in Daniel Jones as part of that process as um, Saquon gets his 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 bearings. So I, I, I am not upset with it. I think uh, Daniel's become smarter about how he runs the football. And a lot of times 
he's running wide open in open field. Yeah, I mean, and and Carl, he's a guy that, you know, if you look over his last eight games, six touchdowns, one interception, uh, quarterback rating of, what do I got on my little note card here? Quarterback rating of 92. In his last eight games, he's averaging a half a giveaway a game. So he is, you know, to this point, he's gotten that reeled in as far as giving the ball away to the other team. And his yards per attempt are up as well. I mean, the Giants, uh, they've hit three pass plays of over 30 yards so far this year. Two have gone for touchdowns. And they're expected to have um, and they're expected to have Evan Ingram, you know, back in the lineup this week. Now, I don't know how many snaps he's going to get, how ready he is to be at full strength but you know you watched him closely during training camp and there was a lot of excitement about Evan Ingram and what he's going to bring to this offense considering Galladay's there and Shepard and now Barkley being back yeah I mean he's he's going to be a problem Bob because he moves well uh in space uh he's a hard cover uh if you've got to commit a safety or a you know, a linebacker to him, it's it's going to be pitch and catch. He just, he moves too well without the football. Um, his concentration and level of focus uh, during camp in terms of catching footballs has been improved. Uh, and it's, it's, it's impressive. So I think, you know, when he takes the field, you can expect uh, the things that everyone has been expecting from him his entire career. It's just a guy who can threaten the defense and can create a matchup problem in favor of your offense. Well, I want to go back to Saquon because, you know, everybody could sit there and rip, you know, play calling uh, at play calling 2020 hindsight. When a play doesn't work, what a stupid call that was when it works, then it's like, Oh, that was a great call. Um, it has yeah. to be executed. There's 11 guys. Um, there was some runs to be had last week against Washington that were blocked pretty darn good. And Saquon Barkley sure. missed it, missed it. Um, which, you know, before he got hurt the first time, he didn't miss any of those for the most part. Right. How important do you think it is for Saquon? You know, no preseason, no joint practices where he really did anything. He did some stuff in new England for one day. That doesn't count. Um, he has to play a game on Sunday against a really good defense, then come back four nights later to be able to have this time that he's had off to kind of sit down, gather your body, but also do sort of a deep dive into some of the film to take a look at it to get ready for this next game. Because, look, 22 of his carries have gone for 42 yards, and he's got one for 41. Um, mm -hmm. but there were, you know, everyone always talks about how crappy the giants offensive line is, how much they stink and how bad the organization has been in rebuilding it, which may or may not be a valid argument, but you know what, against a really good front, they pass blocked well against Washington and they opened up some holes for the running game that the running back didn't necessarily execute. Well, does, do you think this mini buy is going to help him gather himself? It will. Um, see, here's the thing. If you're Saquon Barkley and you're coming back from a knee injury and there's zero apprehension that I see in terms of his approach to the game, the way he attacks it and runs aggressively, 
There's no apprehension there. Now it's just a matter of the eyesight and the footwork. And the one thing that uh, we know, and he's going to see it again, and he'll be better this week, but the one thing that Washington does, they move their line at the last second. They stunt, they slide. So the holes that are supposed to be there all of a sudden disappear, but something else opens up. He caught him on his 41-yard run. He missed it in their last drive. So for him, it's just a matter of, oh, okay, I see it. I get it. Now I know now when these guys start sliding and moving their line, and that's something that uh, Dean Peace does uh, as their coordinator in, in um, Atlanta, they start to move their line a lot, just like um, Washington did. He'll see those cracks and he'll hit it and get vertical. So I think it's just a matter of him reacclimating himself to all the different things that can can show up to him. Because I think in terms of, of his running, he's not a you know, as much as people think he's an east and west runner, he's not. He's not an outside run guy. He's an east to west to get north and south. He's east to west to make a guy miss to create space to accelerate north and south. So um, when these movements happen, and he hadn't seen them in a long time. He hadn't been forced to make those adjustments with his footwork. So now he's running. His eyes are saying, okay, I got to get behind this guard, not knowing that a guy might flash. Now he's seen that once. I think he'll make them pay because he's got the ability and the aggressiveness to make them pay. It's just a matter of he's seen it once. He'll see it again because he knows this is the type of defense they run as well. He'll be able to scoot out and, and get vertical. All right, as I do every week, kind of in, in as we get ready to wrap it up, although I want to ask you one Eli Manning question. Here's the note card for this week. So there are some very important things for me in this game. Uh, number one, big plays. The Giants can't allow big plays. The Falcons do not have a run of over 20 yards, nor do they have a pass play of over 20 yards. And their average scoring drive is nine and a half plays. Only the Chargers average more plays on a scoring drive. Don't give them big, big hitters like they did last week against Washington. Make them plod their way along. And then the other one, Carl, that's very important as far as I see it is this red zone defense. See that for the Falcons teams have had eight trips uh, into the red zone. They've scored seven touchdowns against that defense. The Giants can't be going down there and having Graham Gano kick three or four 27 yard field goals. Sure. That's Um, my little rant for the day. Yeah. I I think that's, that's a, a very good rant because, you know, when it comes to the Giants defense, um, given the fact that they've given up 400 yards again. Yeah. Well, 75 yards in two plays against uh, Washington last week. It's, it's a combination, Bob. It's number one, the defense, they all have to play on pace. Number two, the defensive coordinator cannot be reactive. He's got, he's got to give them something that they can all play and then make your calls from there. You just can't react to every situation 
because then you become you become a chaser. You chase every single down when you want to make the defense, the offense respond to what you're doing. Get yourself into great coverage. Make sure your guys play on pace, and they're good enough from an ability standpoint to execute any defense. Just don't have them all over the place. Give them a few things and let them execute. Like one of the, the beautiful things that we have the luxury of, uh, when I played, and I see it a lot in, this, in the league now too, uh, Baltimore does it well too. They'll get in something and they say, okay, oh, wait, it's cover two. We can run on cover two because two safeties are out of the box. Well, if your guys are playing well up front, the front seven, cover two is just as hard to run on as a cover three or, uh, you know, adding another guy in the box. So it's just a matter of getting, having confidence that the guys can execute their techniques in whatever call you make. Don't try to have a call that gives you an extra guy that puts you at, at risk on the back end of your defense. Trust that your guys can play their techniques up front and you've got some really good players in uh, Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you've got really good linebackers. And, you know, impart on them or, or, or insist that they execute whatever the defense is, make it hard. Know what your responsibilities are. If it's a cover two and you know teams are going to try to run on them, make them pay because you can keep your safeties available to stop the Kyle Pitts of the world. All right. Uh, Eli Manning is going to join you in the uh, ring of honor. He's going to have his jersey retired at halftime. Obviously, one of the greatest giants in the history of the franchise holds all the passing records. Uh, is there a thought, a memory, um, a, a feeling about Eli Manning? Because I remember how pissed you were when he got benched uh, that one year yeah. because of uh, – we won't go – I don't think that's the memory we want. Uh, no, we don't. No, that's the, the memory we want to forget. The McAdoo-Geno Smith decision. Uh, but yeah. in, in all honesty, um, your lasting impressions of Eli? You know, the, the, the one word that comes to mind is stability, right? Uh, he was always reliable. But I think the thing that, that uh, really gets underplay that that's not talked about enough is his resiliency. And, you know, people talk about, you know, Tom Brady never getting flustered, right? Well, Eli Manning is the same guy. He's, he's got that same mental makeup. Uh, his mental toughness, his ability to stay in the moment from play to play and not let the last play seep into the next play. And when you consider, and I know this is not a word, this is more than just a few words on Eli, but when you consider what he had to deal with from play to play sometimes with a bad offensive line and never thinking he couldn't make a play. I mean, he would come up with the biggest plays and put them in great positions, despite the fact that he knew he was dealing with, you know, a crumbling offensive line and just guys barreling down on him just getting his team in position each and every play, knowing that, you know, sometimes the odds were stacked against him. And then, you know, Mr. Fourth Quarter, 
that's what he was early on when he first took the reins. It was no matter how it's going, you could you could somehow set your clock to the fourth quarter and know that Eli Manning would get your team back into it and win a game for you. Yeah, like that game in Philadelphia in like 06, I think it was, where he was sacked seven times in the first half, leads the comeback, throws the game winner yeah. to Plaxico. Amani makes a great catch to tie the game up. Um, you know, the, the other thing about him, too, he took all the arrows, which is, what you're, which is what you want your quarterback to do. But sometimes some quarterbacks take all the arrows, and in the process of taking all the arrows, they infer that some of the arrows should have gone elsewhere. Like yeah. the dude never, ever, ever. I mean, how many of Eli Manning's interceptions over a certain time period in Giants history were the direct result of like a certain wide receiver from LSU who was not Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. That would round off an out route that would not run the proper route and the ball's getting picked. And, and Eli's answer would always be, you know, I could have made a better throw. I could have gotten rid of it yeah. earlier. You know, we just got to get on the same page and, you know, I could do better. You know, it was always like his fault, even though a lot of times it wasn't. So accountability. And then the other thing personally, just, you know, I, I got a lot, I got mad respects for him. You know, you know, Carl, from when my kids were younger, being at the, around the facility, Eli Manning always treated him great. Yeah. Like he, he always yeah. was great to them. In the cafeteria. Yeah, he's, he's just a great dude, man, and um, underrated uh, personality, you know, because he's always been viewed as this stoic guy and, you know, no fun Eli, but he's, you know, he's, he's got kind of this sardonic uh, personality, but he can sing you when he wants to with a straight face. I, I was telling a friend of mine yesterday, like Eli Manning could be that guy if you're at a poker table and he's got a bunch of, you know, goons with him. And he could sit and say, somebody say something to him. He could give you a look and be like, okay, I'm going to have you beat up. He could be like, is he serious or is he not? Like, he's just kind of that sardonic personality. It's kind of like, you don't know whether he's kidding or not. He just rips you apart and then just starts laughing at you. That's Eli. And, uh, you know, rightfully so. He becomes the 12th jersey to be retired. In Giants history, and the first since Phil Sims, uh, number 11, was retired in 1995. All right, Carl, uh, we are out of time. We'll do this again next week. We'll do, hopefully, it's going to be like a happy recap because these losses yeah. are just a little getting up to here. Um, but we got to tell everybody. What, what, do you, what do you say? Spread the word. Tell a friend. What, what is it? What's your line? Tell a friend to tell a friend. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Believe in Giants. Carl Banks, I'm Bob Pop. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.